Hello to all out there watching on Facebook, either live at 4 p.m. on a rainy Sunday afternoon from Tyler, Texas, or watching a little bit later if you're doing that on my Facebook page or on our church Facebook pages or on our website at westerwin.com. Uh, you can access these lessons at any of those spots. I think that we're having a a little bit of difficulty with some of the um, technology. My uh, internet just kind of popped in and out a moment ago, and it is raining. I think the, I don't know how much that affects it, but uh, hopefully you are able to watch this and able to do that okay. I already see some folks signing on, so hello Cindy and Eric and Pat, and wonderful to be with y'all today. Hope that this is uh, working out all right. It seems like it is. And so we will go ahead and get started here in just a moment. Today is the last chapter that we see in this study of the book of Mark, Mark chapter 16. And uh, But it's not the last lesson. I'll do the last lesson next Sunday. It'll be a bit of a uh, summary lesson looking back through uh, the main scriptures and the main message of the gospel of Mark. And so I hope that you'll join me again and then we'll take a break for Memorial Day weekend and I'm going to be starting some studies on Facebook um, in June, um, looking at the uh, great passage in Ephesians 6 that talks about uh, the armor of God and, uh, and also looking at the letters that John wrote, uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd uh, John. And so hopefully you'll be able to view those on Sunday afternoon like this one. Uh, or on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, we'll start those up again, as I said, um, the first week of June. So I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you've had a good Sunday worshiping the Lord with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we had a wonderful worship service this morning, praising our great God, uh, reminding ourselves and seeing again some of the wonderful things that are going on through our church's ministry, uh, through the wonderful efforts of so many and especially um, Eric Mosley who has been helping us uh, see those and highlight those ministries a couple of times a month over the last uh, several uh, few months of this year and um, so lots of great things going on and one of the great things going on of course is our study of God's Word and today we uh, get to read and look at this last chapter in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the action gospel as I call him and as I have titled this study and uh, and he gets right to it in Mark 16. Um, the uh, em emphasis in chapters 14 and 15 are upon uh, the great disappointment that Jesus saw in his disciples, the, the fact that he was left all alone even though he prayed the Father would take this cup from him in a very agonizing prayer in Mark 14. We know that that didn't happen because it's not because Jesus didn't have enough faith but it's because the Father's will was different and had us in mind, uh, even so, even over his own, the life of his own son. And we're so very grateful for that and thankful for that. But, in, of course, he is crucified, uh, laid to rest uh, in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea that is nearby, assisted Joseph being a member of the ruling council who did not go along with the decision to kill Jesus was assisted by another member of that ruling council according to John 19 and uh, that of course is Nicodemus that Jesus uh, John charts Jesus interaction uh, with him in his heart 
beginning with their conversation in John 3 and then the end of John 7, that, that tense exchange between Nicodemus and his fellow ruling council members at a Sanhedrin council meeting. And then finally in John 19, when Joseph and, and Nicodemus take down the body of Christ in a very open, very public, uh, very brazen uh, confession that they believed that Jesus was God's son. Now we come to um, the good part. Uh, someone has said that we live on um, Saturday. If you see Jesus as being crucified on a Friday, and not everybody does, if you follow F. Lagarde Smith's The Daily Bible, you know that he makes a case for Jesus being crucified actually on Thursday of what we call Passion Week. I, I don't know. Uh, that one's, uh, I, I can understand the points of both. But I do know that if you accept Jesus being crucified on Friday uh, and raised from the dead, as we know for sure happened on that Sunday morning on the first day of the week, that's clearly uh, the message in the Gospels. Then, um, then someone has said, we, we live on Saturday. We live uh, on the, the day when we know that he's coming back and he has died for our sins, but he hasn't returned yet. And so as 2 Corinthians 5 clearly says, because we are looking ahead to the resurrection, uh, we live by faith, not by sight. But that day will come when we will get to live by sight uh, in the presence of the Father. Uh, and so as we left it in Mark chapter 15, a uh, very bleak time. Can you imagine the, the, um, the hours of agony that those disciples had and confusion? Um, we see it in, in Thomas and John when John recounts um, in John 20 that Thomas was not with the disciples when he first came and appeared to them. But then the next week he was and um and Thomas, uh, out of his own frustration and perhaps his own disappointment, saying, unless I uh, put my fingers in the nail holes in his hands and put my hand through the, the uh, wound in his side where the spear went, I, I just can't do this again. I, I can't get my hopes up again, is what I think Thomas was saying. But then, of course, that great confession that Thomas shares in John 20 uh, verse 28, as Jesus gives him that opportunity, uh, and and Thomas just says, my Lord and my God. Uh, an amazing confession from the man we call Doubting Thomas, but we understand that because he had been there, and we've seen that throughout the Gospel of Mark, the apostles and their uh, journey of faith, journey of doubt, uh, their difficulty accepting Jesus' role and accepting what Messiah in the mind of God actually was. Not one who would come in the uh, tradition of King David as a warrior, uh, overcoming the enemies in a physical way, but one who would overcome the ultimate enemy of sin and death and the adversary, the Satan, um, and through his own death. That's not one that they could figure out. And they still didn't understand it on that Sunday morning. And so we read in Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Remember, they didn't get to do much of that uh, the day he was killed because they were trying to 
take him down off the cross. They were trying to get ready for the, the Passover weekend and the Passover celebration and uh, the Sabbath that was about to come if that uh, Jesus is crucified on that Friday. And so very early, verse 2, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? We mentioned that this morning in some of our uh, sessions in Bible class and worship as we were talking about um, the reason why uh, the Romans made such a big deal about securing the tomb. In fact, even having the seal of the emperor there, increasing the guard, remembering because the Jewish uh, leaders told uh, Pilate, remember that this is what that guy said, and if those disciples come back and steal the body away, it's going to be worse. And so they they put that big, huge stone there that the, the women would not be able to move, the disciples would not be able to move, especially with the guard right there, an extra guard, armed guard, guarding the tomb uh, at the threat of having their own lives taken if they did not fulfill this mission. And of course, the seal of the Roman emperor as well. Um, and so as they're going up, they think to themselves, oh, wait, <laughs> we didn't think this through very well. Um, the tomb has a, has a stone rolled in front of it, uh, a, a huge stone that we won't be able to move. Who, who's going to do that for us? But about that time, they get to the, to the side of the tomb. And in verse 4, it says, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. That's typically the reaction when uh, you see an angel of God, and I think that's obviously what they see, whether they realize that at the time or not, I don't know. Remember, Jesus is going to interact with Mary, uh, as John records, and she's going to think he's the gardener, and he's going to let that go on for a moment or two. Uh, so we're not sure everything that they get, but obviously they realize that this is an angel because they become very alarmed. And everything about Mark's 16th chapter is just that way. There's this sense of, of alarm and fear and confusion uh, and wonder all at the same time. And so this angel in verse 6 says, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He was called the Nazarene, remember, because he was uh, from Nazareth, and that's where he was raised in Galilee, even though born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth of Galilee. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Uh, this angel tells them, look, look for yourselves. He's not here. He's risen, just like he told you. <laughs> you know, God tells us things through his word. And <clears throat> Jesus apparently constantly, I think, during those uh, few years that he was with his disciples, uh, told his followers, look, I'm, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be arrested and handed over to be killed. But on the third day, uh, the sun, I will rise again. And um, and yet they, they, they still didn't quite understand what that meant. In fact, the gospel writers record at times when Jesus says that they just were perplexed, not knowing what rising from the dead might mean. 
um, which is uh, astounding because Jesus seems to have laid it out very clearly for them. But obviously, when these women went to the tomb that Sunday morning, they were not expecting what they saw. They were not expecting what they found. And Mark records this a little bit differently in verse 7. Jesus telling them, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he has been raised from the dead. I'm not sure who it is, and perhaps you have heard uh, this radio spot on uh, uh, KVNE here in Tyler or K-Love or some other station where a, a speaker is, is kind of saying to himself, uh, pretending to be um, uh, the Apostle Peter as he's going through this, this time and as he is struggling with himself because of his immense failure, even though Jesus had warned him. And wondering, uh, does 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 Jesus accept me? And then he's talking to someone in this little skit, and and he says, and now some of our women just uh, just don't understand. And he's he's interacting with Jesus, and he's trying to trying to explain kind of what he's going through. And the key part is when he uh, hears this statement. You know, he hears Jesus saying, "Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's not here; he's risen." And, and that's when he finally gets it. It's a very powerful segment uh, of how he finally realizes that, yes, uh, Jesus is still calling me. We see John in John chapter 21 giving us a great example of that as, as Jesus and Peter have that interaction uh, after his resurrection. Uh, we don't hear very many stories in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we hear that story of the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, that interaction between Jesus and Peter with John following a few steps behind within earshot. Um, but in Mark, it's, uh, it's a little different. Um, go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And we know that that, that is exactly what happens. Uh, John also tells us that of this little race between Peter and John, when the women tell them we've the, we've seen the Lord, he's he's been raised from the dead, the tomb is empty, and they run. And apparently, John, being younger and stronger and faster, gets there first, but is too chicken to go in. And then when Peter gets there, as Peter is accustomed to doing, he just runs bull in the china shop right in and looks around. And John pokes his head in. It's very interesting to read that in John twenty. John pokes his head in and, he, and it says that he saw and believed. And it's interesting that they believed because of not just what they didn't see, which was the body of Jesus, the empty tomb, but of what they did see. Uh, what they saw was that the, the cloth, the, the uh, wrapping, everything that Jesus had been laid in the tomb and uh, was there, just as if his body should have still been there. And yet his body was gone. And I know that that is something that they never, ever forgot. All of those who had a, an, a, a saw Jesus as the resurrected Lord before his ascension, uh, never let go of that, uh, of that vision, never let go of that memory. And so Mark chapter 16, verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, in your Bible, if you're following along, then you know that there's some kind of footnote there or some kind of, of a statement uh, that says, 
the earliest and best manuscripts or something like this do not include Mark chapter 16 verses 9 through 20. Or they say something like they include them in another statement or they include part of this statement in a different place. And of course, it's a it's a it's a textual variant, as we call them, such as Acts 8 verse 37. Uh, that passage when Philip is interacting with the Ethiopian eunuch as, uh, in Acts chapter 8. And uh, he says, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And Peter says, well, if you believe, you may. And the man says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, again, if you're following along closely, you'll notice that they include that as a footnote because that confession that that man makes, again, there's some question as to whether that was in uh, Luke's original version of the book of Acts. Seems to me like it was. There are many uh, different uh, textual variants, none of which change the message of Scripture, none of which change the focus and the uh, clear teaching of the New Testament. In fact, it's astounding that there are not so many more of those, because this is a this is a two thousand year old document almost. And yet the textual variants are very few and for the most part are outliers as far as uh, the doctrinal message. Now, Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, I think there are some credible questions about whether that was in Mark's original gospel. I'm not saying I don't believe it was, and I certainly view it uh, as a part of Scripture. But I, when I'm teaching about the resurrection, or as we're going to read in just a moment, when I'm teaching about uh, Christian baptism, like Mark talks about in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, or if I'm teaching about the Ethiopian treasure and his confession in Acts 8, I'm going to give some other uh, credible, more credible uh, biblical witness about that. Some of those passages of scripture that aren't questioned at all. And as you think about uh, that confession in Acts 8, you think about passages such as we read this morning in the sermon from Romans chapter 10 that says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, uh, then you will be saved. And so we realize and recognize other scriptures that support uh, that statement. Uh, and in the same way, there are other scriptures that support uh, much of what is found in Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. And so let's read through those passages, and we'll talk about that maybe a little bit uh, as we go before our time is up. Um, it wouldn't be a bit surprising to me, though, if Mark ends his gospel abruptly the way he has written his gospel, very short, almost cryptic at times, uh, very abrupt. Um, and so it wouldn't it would not surprise me at all if we get to heaven and are talking to Mark and we say, so so tell us about the ending of your gospel. And he says, oh, yeah, I, I ended with they were afraid because that's, that's where I felt like it should end. Well, I, of course, he's writing by inspiration. And again, as you look at verses 9 through 20, um, you know, you're going to realize that they seem to have a different, uh, a different tone than the rest of it. Some say that there's a, it's written in a different style than the rest of the book of Mark. Uh, and again, it's kind of like the question of who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know. Some say the Apostle Paul, but others say, no, it's very different from the way the Apostle Paul wrote. And we have so many of his other letters. And so I'm one of those who probably doesn't think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but that it is inspired scripture. The writer never identifies himself, but someone very familiar, of course, with the Jewish ways and the Jewish history and the Jewish law, but very much a, a strong Christian leader that would write uh, from that perspective and help Jewish Christians to know uh, that now there's a different covenant, as he quotes 
and preaches a little bit with his text being Jeremiah 31. But we're in Mark, so let's read Mark 16, beginning at verse 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen it, they did not believe it. Nothing in there that contradicts the rest of the Gospels. That's certainly the way uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, record it. Verse 12, afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. Likely a reference to what uh, Luke talks about with those two on the road to Emmaus, which is a wonderful, wonderful story. They get to hear Jesus tell the story while they're walking along the way about why he had to die and be raised from the dead and how this fulfilled the teaching of all the Old Testament, as we call them, scriptures that they had come to believe in. Oh, to be a fly on the wall on that trip and to hear Jesus tell that story. Um, Verse 13, these returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Uh, Again, including Thomas, because it's the 11, not including Judas Iscariot, who had Uh, who had already hanged himself, but now talking about that time when Jesus appeared to them with Thomas, uh, as John 20 records. And then the Great Commission, Mark's version in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, which again, I think is very significant. And whether you accept the ending, the longer ending, as it's called, of the Gospel of Mark, or you don't, it is very consistent with other teaching found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, uh, the end of Luke, chapter 24, uh, and certainly as Acts records it in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. The Great Commission, as Mark records it in Mark 16. And again, very consistent with what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, very consistent with what Luke records in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, very consistent with what Luke has recorded in in Luke chapter 24, when he says, wait in the city until you're clothed with power from on high, and and then uh, repentance and remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ will be preached uh, to all nations. That's exactly what Mark says here. And he makes it very clear. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not, the one that does not believe shall be condemned. And as we look at the rest of scripture, that is exactly the message of the New Testament. Uh, believing and being baptized doesn't cause us to earn our salvation or to deserve our salvation. It doesn't put us in a position with our resurrected Lord where he has to save us. Uh, none of those things are true. None of those things are true. But what it is saying is that we have, as we said in the sermon this morning, wrapping up our series on the book of Romans, we are saved by grace through the response of faith. And that response of faith includes believing in Jesus, just as Mark says here. Uh, It includes repenting of our sins, uh, just as Luke says in Luke 13, verse 3, just as uh, he records Peter saying in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 38. It includes confessing our sins, Uh, before God and confessing our faith that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, just as that Ethiopian did so that Philip would know 
that he did believe. And we confess for the same reasons so that others will know what's in our heart um, and based on what we say, what we confess to, as Romans 10 says, but also that a part of that response of faith includes baptism. Mark says it here, the one who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again of water and spirit to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And knowing the historical setting of John and John chapter 3, there's no way that Nicodemus would hear that and not realize that he was calling him to be baptized. And that's why it was, Nicodemus couldn't believe it. He couldn't imagine him, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, do what these other Jews were doing from the teaching of John the Baptist and now Jesus and his disciples and be baptized as if he needed to be. Nicodemus couldn't imagine that. Um, throughout scripture, especially in the book of Acts, when we read those conversion accounts, whether it is on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 uh, accepted the message and were baptized and were added to the church uh, that day, whether it's talking about Saul of Tarsus himself in Acts 9, or when he recounts it in Acts 22, Verse 16, having Ananias tell him, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and, and wash away your sins. Even though Saul of Tarsus had been praying and fasting for three days, even though he had seen the Lord Jesus face to face, no doubt that he believed, no doubt that he repented. And yet Ananias told him, you, you still need to wash your sins away. Uh, get up and be baptized. Uh, we read about that Philippian jailer in Acts 16 doing that the very same hour of the night and all of his family, Lydia, the first European convert, as best we can tell, from Philippi earlier in Acts chapter 16, as Paul and Silas and Timothy were on Paul's second mission journey, uh, as we call it. Acts 10, Cornelius and his household, all of these and others uh, are say exactly what Mark records here in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. The one who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The one who does not believe will be condemned. And then perhaps one of the most skeptical uh, verses in this last part, although not really, verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Again, interestingly enough, all of those things are true. All of those things happen. Even Paul in Acts 28 picked up a snake that he uh, found and the people around him after the shipwreck and they landed on the island of Malta before they got to uh, Rome and, and the, the continent of, or the uh, country of Italy. Um, he had a viper bite him and attached itself to his arm. And, and they thought, wow, he survived the shipwreck. But boy, this guy's really bad because death really has a hold on him. And Paul just shook the viper off and and lived. And that's when they thought, oh, this guy must be a god or something. Um, and so we realize that the things that are said here were true. Um, it's interesting that the other gospel writers don't share all of this, although, although when Jesus sends out the disciples in Matthew 10 and in Luke 10, uh, he tells some similar things like this, that, that not only will they be rejected, but that they will have great power. And especially in Luke 10, after they come back and return to Jesus, they say, wow, even the demons are subject to us and, and obey us. And so again, this isn't much of a stretch. I, I think sometimes as I read something like this, you, you wanna read scripture with your eyes open and, and you ask yourself, well, does this fit? 
uh, does this fit? And and some say that, well, this sounds more like something that someone later added because it was true. Um, and, um, and so again, as we read these things, I think we need to uh, support them with other scripture because if you're talking to someone who has done their homework and they've studied, and one of the reasons why they're skeptical about this Jesus that you're talking about, skeptical about this Bible that you're talking about, is because of things like these textual variances. And, it, and if you don't at least acknowledge them when someone asks a question about it, uh, then you lose credibility. And so that's why I think, well, let's let's see what the rest of Scripture says then and realize that it supports exactly what, for example, Mark 16, 15 and 16 say, that the one who believes and is baptized will be saved and the one who does not believe will be condemned, that the apostles and the first century disciples had incredible, extraordinary, miraculous um, uh, abilities uh, to do all the things that Mark shares here. And then Mark's ending, a uh, longer ending, in Mark 16, verses 19 and 20, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Again, a little bit different than the way the other gospel writers end. It seems like uh, Mark is drawing from uh, what would uh, later happen. But remember, as Mark writes this gospel, it's, it's years, probably a couple of decades at least, after these events happened, after all of the events happened, including the beginning of the church uh, in Acts chapter 2 and all the incredible, miraculous things that they were able to do and to accomplish. And, and after the word of God had begun spreading throughout the whole known world. So again, I, I think the question about the ending of Mark, whether you think it ends at Mark 16, verse 8, and these women who had come uh, and seen everything they saw, they were afraid. Certainly true. That would be a powerful ending. But verses 9 through 20, nothing unbiblical, nothing unscriptural about them when you compare it with the rest of the teaching of Scripture. And so I, I'm going to be okay either way. And I'm, i got to tell you, I'm not convinced which one it is. Does that mean that I don't accept biblical authority, that it's inspired of God? Absolutely not. In fact, it means the opposite. And that's why I appreciate and, and uh, respect so much those who are involved in textual research so that the scripture that we have, we can look at and we can say with some kind of, of uh, confidence, a great deal of confidence, actually, that this is what Mark wrote. This is what Luke wrote. This is what Paul wrote and, and all the others. Um, the uh, uh, the textual record is amazing. The manuscript record is amazing uh, when you compare it to other uh, forms of literature from uh, the days of the Roman Empire. Uh, so much more evidence, so many more manuscripts, so many more copies made of this that are so consistent and uh, gives us great a great deal of confidence. Uh, as we think about this uh, gospel of Mark, the action, gospel. Um, he has brought us to um, the, the teaching of Jesus beginning in a very powerful way, uh, the, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, right into it. Uh, the others talk about the birth narratives, not Mark. He goes right into Jesus' ministry. Um, and, uh, um, and here, all the way through his teaching, his miracles, uh, the signs he performed himself, 
the teaching that he had with his disciples, the, the lessons that he left for us, the interaction he had with those closest disciples, his apostles, the, the ultimate betrayal of Judas and uh, denying him three times, Peter in the garden, all of his closest disciples and followers running for their lives instead of staying there uh, to give him comfort and, and strength. And, and, and being crucified on that cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then ultimately giving up his life and being buried in that tomb. And then here we are on the first day of the week, uh, walking to the tomb with these women and seeing that angel and hearing that message and seeing that empty tomb. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Go and tell the others. Uh, hopefully, as we have gone through this study, that is something that has inspired you to be reminded once again of the great story of the gospel of Jesus Christ and specifically his life and teaching and death and burial and resurrection. And having seen that resurrection, now we have heard those same words. Uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, the one who believes in Jesus Christ and is baptized in his name by his authority will be saved. The ones who turn away, as Peter would say uh, earlier in the Gospel of John, Lord, to, to whom that will they go? Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe that he is the Holy One, the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Again, we'll end this study with a little brief summary next Sunday afternoon. And I pray God's greatest blessings on you this week.